We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host, Nick Villato. I'm back. Had a very nice vacation out west in Vegas. It was fun. It was tiring. I feel like I was there for a lot longer than I was actually there for. Almost feel like going back to a routine today. I was like, almost like felt like I was in the twilight zone. It felt so weird after, you know, the 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 schedule out there, which was a lot of drinking, a lot of gambling, a lot of uh, sports betting, a lot of things of that nature, and a lot of late nights. So back on the grind, happy to be here, happy to talk Giants free agency. Today we are going to talk about Giants free agency, the first wave of it as a whole. It's now been what, in my opinion, would be the end of the first wave, I would say. There are still some a few big-name free agents out there, but those guys will be signed during that second wave. And for the most part, the Giants will only be diving back in on the second and third wave now with maybe some cheaper, lower cap options to add to the roster to help continue to fill it out. But today we're going to talk about this entire first wave, including some of the players we didn't get to on the last podcast. I know Nick did a individual podcast on the Kenny Galladay signing, but since then, Ryan Anderson, Dory Jackson, a lot of players have been added to the list. Reggie Ragland, players we will talk about, including the overall overarching opinions and thoughts on green suits. So before we do that, Nick, how was your week? It was good, man. It was jam packed full of giants news, giants staying busy, staying on top of things and really kind of going all in something we're really going to dive into in this podcast. Yeah, for sure. So let's start, I guess, with the overarching 30,000 foot view how do you feel about the Giants free agent hall and their decision to go out and spend all this money and allocate all this future cap space and current cap space toward these free agent players? Well, I think it was obvious that the Giants had to kind of go all in in this offseason. So I'm really happy that Dave Gettleman, Kevin Abrams were able to figure that out along with Joe Judge and this entire staff because you're entering year three. Daniel Jones, you need to know if he's the guy. We don't want to be in the same situation that the New York Jets are in right now where they're kind of questioning, is Sam Darnold actually the guy? Can he get it done? What path should we go? Do we keep him? Do we trade him? What what exactly is going on? And now Gettleman has added all these pieces to kind of ensure that the Giants by the end of this season should know if Daniel Jones is a quarterback that you can build around or if he's never really going to take that kind of next step. We've always made parallels with the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen's second to third year jump was significant. We're hoping the Giants can have a significant uh, jump from Daniel Jones to the same light that happened there. And obviously they added Stefan Diggs. The Giants just added Kenny Galladay. And they also brought in guys like Kyle Rudolph, who can help the offense. John Ross, they're hoping they can recapture that 
first round talent that he was. So, I mean, all in all, man, and they also obviously retained Leonard Williams, which was huge, even brought Nate Solder back and lessened his cap hit. And he took a huge pay cut just to come back, which was big. So all in all, I mean, they really improved. They improved this roster and brought in pieces that we've kind of been talking about for how long now, Dan? We've been talking about them going out and getting a big X receiver for Jason Garrett's offense. We've been talking about them getting a speedster like a John Ross. We've been talking about them getting a traditional Y type of tight end like Kyle Rudolph. So it's good to see that they're actually all in. And now if it doesn't work out, we can move on from Daniel Jones and Dave Gettleman will more than likely be fired as well. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, a few things. I'll say this. It was funny to me how at the beginning of free agency, everyone was panicking, felt like the Giants weren't doing anything, and then came in that first move, that Devontae Booker contract, which still to this day looks to me like their worst move in free agency and still mind-boggling to me as you see players like James White get $2.5 million. I mean, even if you are just looking for a pass, that pass down specialist, I would prefer someone like James White. And I know Booker can add a little more value, I guess, as a blocker, but in the end, ultimately, it's not going to kill them. It's around the same cap hit as m- what most of these running backs are going for. He wouldn't be the one I chose, but whatever. But the point is, it was seemingly like the Giants were sleeping on the wheel, at least some people thought. And then the minute they got that Leonard Williams contract rolling to create cap space, they started going all in. And obviously, anyone who's listened to this podcast or followed me long enough knows that I didn't believe the salary cap was a non-fluid number. I didn't panic when everybody else was panicking when they said the Giants actually only have 1.5 million in cap space. What are they going to do? How could they do anything this free agency? Obviously, anyone who has a better understanding of the cap, and now it's obviously proven to be true, though it didn't really need proof before, understands the cap is a fluid number. And the Giants had a really healthy cap position in 2022. They had an even healthier cap position going into this offseason for 2023. So what did they do? They dipped into that cap position because they understand they have a quarterback on a rookie contract. And like you said, Nick, they need to find out if he is going to be the quarterback of the future. Now, the one thing I would contend, I would say, with your initial reaction, um, and this is not to say that I feel negatively at all about what they did. I'll get to why I'm really excited and confident about what they did in a second. But I will say that ultimately, if the offensive line is a disaster and they didn't do almost any, actually didn't do anything in free agency in the offensive line yet, and instead have detracted from it by releasing Zeitler. If the offensive line is a disaster and is worse than it was in 2020, which in my opinion is cannot be ruled out right now at all. It should not and cannot be ruled out. We hope it won't be. We assume it won't be. We assume natural progression. But after losing Zeitler, it cannot be completely ruled out. And if it is a disaster, I don't think we'll get a great read on Jones, to be honest, because I do feel and have always felt like Jones is the type of quarterback who more so would benefit from a great offensive line then he would benefit from great receivers. I think with bad pass protection, it speeds up. Jones is already uh, questionable clock in his head, in my opinion. And it almost ultimately can kind of take away his ability to successfully read post-snap as well as maybe he can to his capability. And that's something that's still a major work in progress for Jones. So I'm not sure we're going to get the full read on Jones just by adding a big X to the mix, a fast you know, receiver who can maybe help open up the defense if they don't draft one with speed at 11, giving them that flexibility and a wide tight end like Kyle Rudolph. But I think it'll give it give him a much better chance than he had this past season, especially moving Barkley back into the mix. And especially if Andrew Thomas can take a major jump or not even a major jump, can play like he did in the second half. Lemieux can take a major jump. Hernandez can transition to transition to right guard and Parrot can take a big jump. But I will say this, as far as the whole offseason goes, Nick, I'm extremely excited. Like I said, the Giants needed to go all in with their healthy cap space and with Jones on a rookie deal. They also needed to fill a lot of these holes so they don't have to enter the draft with major needs. And after going out and getting the big X and, and adding a receiver like Ross, who I'm a little bit more excited for than maybe I should be, but I think ultimately gives them more flexibility in the draft to not have to find speed because they needed speed. This offense needed speed, even if it's just as a decoy, even if it's just as somebody who can create space for other players on this roster, they needed speed. And then also a wide tight end like Rudolph, who immediately helps them not only as an inline blocker, because he's not even that amazing there, but he's better than Ingram was, is or was, but also as a red zone threat. And then finally, and most importantly for me, adding a Dory Jackson to this defense, a move that we're going to get to a little bit more in depth as we break down Jackson signing, Raglan signing, and obviously the Ryan Anderson signing. But this move has really, really grown on me, Nick. And 
for a lot of reasons, which we'll get to when we break him down, I really believe that he is a big, big piece of this offseason. And I feel like the Giants are going to enter this 2021 season with equally or better, I would say better roster than they entered the 2016 season after that spending spree. So they had, again, two very similar spending sprees in 2016 offseason and in the 2021 offseason. But ultimately, considering where Eli was at at that point, which, you know, wasn't too far ahead of where Jones is at now, in my opinion, at least at that point. And he was definitely ahead of him, but not too far ahead. I think they should for sure at this point, my expectation would be at minimum a 10 win team. And I don't know where you stand on that, but this offseason for sure, the ability to get a Galladay, someone I did not expect they would win a bidding war for, but someone who's a perfect fit for what they needed, not only as an X, but for Daniel Jones's skill set. And the ability to get a potential top 10, top 15 corner who's still 25 and could grow into that, in addition to all the other signings, was big time for me for sure. Yeah, I don't know if he's top 10, top 15, to be honest. I'm a little bit lower than that, but he could reach that surface. And to circle back, I totally agree with what you were saying about the offensive line. It's going to come down to those guys progressing. And we really hope, as I said on the Kenny Galladay podcast, that Rob Sale... And the rest of this coaching staff, including Freddie Kitchens, brought up back Pat Flaherty. Those guys can really help develop these young guys. But I think the parallel with 2016 is an interesting one. Obviously, Eli Manning is somebody who mentally is far superior than Daniel Jones. I mean, that's not something that's going to be in question. But from a physical skill set, I mean, you can even argue at that point of his career that Daniel Jones throws a better deep ball and can push the ball better vertically. But circle back to that offensive line, Dan, they, they're going to need to protect Daniel Jones long enough for those routes to develop. Yeah, but just looking and I completely agree. And I think I would still put Eli in 2016 ahead of what Daniel Jones could and or I guess what I would project Daniel Jones to be in 2021 simply because of the mental standpoint. Eli was getting them into better plays more consistently. I don't think at that point he was post post snap reading the defense as well. And I still think there were some questionable throws that led to turnover worthy plays, something that has also plagued Daniel Jones, in my opinion, even if all of them haven't led to interceptions, there have been a few more turnover-worthy um, throws than I would wish for. But having said that, like you said, I think physically Jones is further along. And as long as ultimately I think we will get a decent read regardless of where the line is, because remember, the Giants didn't have a great line in that 2016 season either. It was a much worse offensive line, obviously. That was the year where Jerry Reese went, or that was the year I believe they had, was it Newhouse still playing there, or was it at that point Eric Flowers and... Bobby Hart. I'm not sure who was at the right tackle position. Do you remember, Nick? I think it was Marshall Newhouse. And then there was, it was the next still year Newhouse. And then where the, yeah. Bobby Hart. Yeah. Correct. But even so, I mean, Newhouse was at best a slight, slight upgrade over Bobby Hart. And the interior wasn't great by that point either. So I think he'll have a better O-line than that. And I think, like you said, more importantly, we'll get a good feel for the most important thing with Jones. Can he take a step from the mental processing standpoint, because right now I think that's ultimately the biggest thing holding Daniel Jones back. It's he's missing. He's still missing wide open, not op wide open at all times, but open receivers and reads that he should be throwing the ball to. And that's why ultimately a player like Kenny Galladay excites me a lot more than a player like Will Fuller or a player like Jalen Waddle or a player like Devontae Smith, because those guys can get open probably quicker and more consistently and deeper you know, more consistently on deeper routes than someone like Galladay. But at all times, Jones wasn't seeing open receivers. There were times that he was missing a lot of open receivers. So ultimately, if, if whether it's Mac or Waddle out there, if he's not seeing it, it's not as big of a deal as someone, or I guess they wouldn't make as big of an impact in my mind as someone like Galladay, who doesn't really need to be open for you to throw the ball in his direction. He really just needs one-on-one -on -one man coverage without a safety bearing down on him to throw the football in his direction because he has the ball skills to come down with huge, big, with big time 50 50 catches. He has the catch radius. He has strong hands. And he's really, honestly, one of the better, in my mind, 50 50 contested catch receivers in the NFL. So I love that addition and I love where they're headed on offense in a lot of ways. Yeah, as do I, man. I mean, I really think it's going to mesh well with what Daniel Jones does, as I alluded to on the, on the, uh, Kenny Galladay podcast. It's just Kenny Galladay wins those 50-50 balls, like you said, and Daniel Jones loves to throw those 50-50 balls up. We saw that a lot in 2019 with Darius Slayton. Kenny Galladay is going to take that skill set and that ability to the next level, and hopefully it just unlocks a different type of offense because, I mean, we cannot see another 31st-ranked offense in yards and in points. That's just inexcusable. It was vanilla. I hope 
from a schematic standpoint, we see a little bit more creativity, but just the additions of Kenny Galladay and Kyle Rudolph to even the 2020 Giants offense makes that offense significantly better. Yeah, exactly. And that's the other big thing with this free agency. It's really, there were, there were multiple ways the Giants offense was held back last year in my mind. In addition to the ones that we've already covered with regards to Jason Garrett's system and play calling and Daniel Jones not always reading the open receivers, the ones that were easily fixable to me and won't need better play calling in my mind to an extent and won't need Jones, too much progression from Jones are, one, receivers coming down with footballs on 50-50 attempts and contested catch situations, which the Giants had a whole lot of them last year, and two, red zone Scoring, red zone receiving options, guys who can get open quicker in the red zone, guys who understand spacing better in the red zone, guys who can come down with 50-50 again, contested catches in the red zone. And by adding Rudolph and Galladay in that regard, they've really just immediately added their two best red zone receivers. Like, yes, Evan Ingram should be a great red zone receiver. No, he's actually not. When you watch the film, he's just simply not. He's not terrible, but he's not great. And then as far as Shepard and Slayton go, I mean, they're they're solid red zone receivers, but they're ultimately not the number one and two options like Galladay and I believe, honestly, Rudolph can be that make it much easier for someone like Jones. Just give them opportunities where, again, this guy may not look open, but he actually is open. You can throw him the football and he'll make the catch more times than not. Yeah, and also we shouldn't forget that John Ross, he's not known as a red zone receiver, but majority of his touchdowns, his career touchdowns in Cincinnati were actually in the red zone, a lot of them within the five-yard line. So that coaching staff was unable to lock unlock that part of his game. So that's just another player to kind of throw into the mix of somebody who has had red zone success in the past. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, it's an excellent point. You look at it and Ross, again, doesn't project as someone you expect to be successful or an option in the red zone, and yet he has been. And so the Giants, I'm sure, will have looked at that tape, and I'm sure they'll find ways to get him involved as well there, in addition to being what I think he ultimately will be, that knife in the off, that knife in the defense, the guy who kind of creates space in that middle area of the field by running those vertical routes in between, you know, from the 20 to the 20. So ultimately a lot of great stuff there. I think before we move on to some individual signings, Nick, let's talk a little 30,000-foot view of this roster and where it's at. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. All right, so some of the things I like the most about 
Giants' massive free agent haul in the first wave. In addition to, obviously, what we've discussed before, filling needs, coming, uh, creating a roster that has more flexibility going into the draft, and honestly, fewer holds. I mean, if you look at the overall roster, Mike Clay, who used to be my boss at Pro Football Focus when I was there very early in my career and is now running analytics and things of that nature as one of the main guys for ESPN Fantasy, believes the Giants on paper right now have one of the six best rosters in the NFL. I think it's hard to argue against him right now. If you look at this roster right now, Nick, going into the draft, you can say that they really don't have that many holes at all. I mean, the holes that you would come up with right now, I assume, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, for me it would be edge, maybe inside linebacker, but I guess you can say inside linebacker, and then maybe guard and tackle. But ultimately, with the exception of those four spots, I really don't see a hole on this roster. Do you? No, those are the ones that would really kind of jump off the paper at me. And it, I mean, they're important ones, obviously, but the guard and tackle, you need those guys to be solid for the entire offense to function at a high level, at least. And then edge, you need to be able to generate a pass rush. But last year, I'm, I'm imagining the Giants are going to have a better edge group than they did last year after the draft. At least that's what I'm hoping for. And even last year, they were able to generate solid pressure with just Leonard Williams and the likes of Kyler Fackrell. So you would imagine through the draft, they're going to add enough talent that will kind of take even that position to another level, especially with a healthy Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane. Yeah, I was going to say, like, not only, you know, are, are these questionable needs, I guess you can say from the standpoint of there are at least players at every single position with, I guess, maybe no, but every single position, there are players who, if they didn't draft anyone, could still potentially provide high upside. At guard, Hernandez and Lemieux can't be ruled out as potential average to above average players. At tackle, Parrott can take a massive jump and can't be ruled out. At inside backer, maybe, you know, take Crowder or take Crawford, as Dave Gettleman once referred to him as. But take Crowder can take a big jump and be an answer there. And even And then at edge, it's like, do you really need edges in this system? Yeah, I get it would help. It would certainly help to give Leonard Williams a guide to run two-man game with. I don't think it's by any means something that wouldn't help the defense or something I don't want the Giants to pursue. But almost to me, in this specific type of system, it almost feels like more of a luxury than you know someone like a corner would be or someone like a safety would be or even somebody, in my mind, like an inside linebacker like Blake Martinez would be. So ultimately, the needs that this roster currently has – are trumped, in my opinion, by the talent they have at other positions and by the fact that these can be covered up in some ways, with the exception, obviously, of the offensive line. Like, if the if Hernandez, Lemieux, and Parrott all completely bottom out and play to their, you know, and hit their floor rather than their ceiling or somewhere in between, yes, the Giants have no chance. The Giants will be a bad team again. They might win six or seven games like they did last year behind a defense, but the offense will once again be nothing. It doesn't really matter what you have at the skill positions when your offensive line stinks. It's not possible to move the ball. The Chiefs are a great example of this, but you don't need the Chiefs Super Bowl against the Bucks to be your be-all, end-all, or the reason that the light went off in your head about offensive lines. If you've watched enough Giants football, you should be well aware of this at this point. I think most of the listeners, if not all of the listeners are. So I see that being a potential, I guess, potential hole more than anything else. But ultimately, Nick, I love where the roster is headed. Um, but I wanted to get your take on one thing that I'm really excited about with regards to this offseason. I think if going into this offseason, you looked at the roster as a GM or as Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge and Abrams did, and you said to yourself, well, we have Jabril Peppers. We have Xavier McKinney. We just re-signed Logan Ryan. We just signed James Bradbury. And we also have Julian Love in the mix, among other players. You could say to yourself, that's it. Let's stop investing in the secondary. Let's call it a day. Let's see what happens with Love. He made some progress down the stretch. Maybe we draft a guy in the first three rounds at the cornerback position to compete with him. And overall, we still have so much talent in the secondary that we don't really need to add there. And let's definitely focus on the edge position. That's not what the Giants did. And I think they made a really good decision not to do so. I don't think there were any edges worth pursuing in my mind for the price tag that you were going to get them for, for in that Adoree Jackson range that they ended up signing him for. I'll start by saying that. But more importantly for me, given the system the Giants run, and in my mind, given how much more important pass coverage has become than you know, be having the ability to bend the edge and win with speed as a pass rusher, given, you know, a multitude of reasons. One, quarterbacks getting rid of, rid of the football so quickly. Two, offensive coordinators designing offenses that have pre-snap motion and, and design reads to get rid of the ball quickly. Three, 
uh, the, the changes in the rules at the cornerback position, you know, you can't press, you can't jam as, as well. You can't, you know, the call holding in a lot of ways they used to not call coverage has become so important. It's not something I think you can mask. Well, I think you can mask a pass rush as the giants clearly did last season with, you know, a slew of injuries at the edge position. I don't ultimately think you can mask pass coverage one-on-one. You can try to do things like the giants did at times to mask Isaac Yidem by playing heavy zone defenses and things of that nature. But ultimately, even those have their flaws in them, and those can be gamed over time. I think if the Giants exactly ran the—I think if the Giants ran their exact defense, um, you know, percentage-wise of how much they use zone in 2020 and 2021, opposing offensive coordinators would start to figure it out, Nick. I do believe that they would be a lot less successful if they had to run as much as zone, and they won't. Now that they've added a Dory, they won't. So to me, the biggest takeaway I had is the Giants are on the right side of analytics when it comes to the defensive side of the football investing in pass coverage even when it's a strength they continue to invest in the secondary with a decision like the one they made to sign a dory jackson and ultimately that gets me really excited about where they're moving as a franchise in the direct from the standpoint of putting analytics and things that are more important as in a listen we made two big contracts this offseason or three if you include leonard williams all three of them impact the passing game. Leonard had double-digit sacks. Galladay obviously impacts the passing game. And then Adore obviously impacts the passing game on the other side of the ball. So their three major additions this offseason all have a focus on passing the football, what actually matters in the NFL. So for me, that would be what gets me most excited about this offseason so far. Yeah, to circle back a little bit to what you were saying about the contract. So the Dory Jackson's making 13 mil a year. He was given a three-year deal. If you want to compare it to an edge, it would be Yannick Ngakwe got a two-year deal, 26 million. A Dory three-year, 39 million. So who would you rather have, a Dory on that or Yannick Ngakwe? And a lot of people be like, well, you know, Yannick Ngakwe, he can pressure the passer at a high rate, and that's a good thing, right? But you need to be a specific type of edge to play this Patrick Graham system, especially when they run a lot of those tight fronts. I expect them to do, even though they don't have Dalvin Tomlinson on a lot of these base downs, you need to be able to hold up at the point of attack. That's going to be a very, very important thing. You cannot get bitched off the line of scrimmage. And Yannick Ngakwe has tape where he's just getting bullied off the line of scrimmage and he can't set that firm edge. So, He's getting that much money, and he's kind of a one-dimensional type of player. kind of goes to what you were saying, man. A lot of these edge rushers in this class, they were making – they were going to get more money or more years onto it. I think the contract just being three years for Dory Jackson is really good. And like you said, man, analytics kind of point towards coverage being a a better – indicator to how successful defenses are you need to have that good coverage on the back end and last year we saw a lot of zone coverage but we saw that zone coverage get picked apart by some smart offensive teams we saw washington do it we saw philadelphia do it and cleveland did it the worst i would say Cleveland did it as well, but that Philadelphia game, the first one that they ended up losing on Thursday Night Football was the offense knew what the Giants were going to call because they were one-dimensional and they had Ryan Lewis in the freaking game, and they just flooded that zone and were able to take advantage of it. Now that you add a Dory Jackson, like you said, Dan, you can play man coverage, you can diversify the coverages on the back end, you could do a lot of different things, and Dory Jackson is really... He's going to be successful in that because of all the athletic traits to do that. So I really believe that just adding to the coverage... Adding to the cornerback room was a was a big move for the New York Giants. And also, man, I mean, how many times recently have we seen the Ryan Lewis's, the Isaac Yidams, the Corey Ballantines? I mean, all those kind of guys. I, you don't want to see those guys out there when injuries do hit you. So I, I'm enjoying the depth that the Giants have at the cornerback position. And I'm not opposed to them even investing a draft pick in that position either. Yeah, and I'm with you. I know some people might disagree with that, but I wouldn't for me i don't really even rule out a guy like sertan at 11 just because they signed Dory jackson i know it seems crazy especially darnay holmes on the roster who i forgot to mention earlier but i should have because he was downright fantastic as a rookie and his ceiling only projects up but i just don't think you could, it's kind of a very similar position to me at least to the offensive line there's a lot and there's even more injuries at the corner position but if you don't have the guys out there who can cover you just simply don't have a chance, in my opinion. Even looking back to the year, you know, the 2019 season when they had guys like DeAndre Baker out there who was literally lost in coverage a lot of the time, they had no shot to stop them to stop the opposing pass offense. And ultimately, that is the goal: stop the team from chunk plays in the passing game, stop the team from scoring on passing plays in the red zone. That's how you win football games, and obviously, the and vice versa. It's important on the offensive side of the ball to successfully do those two things. But I will say that. I really like the idea to invest so heavily in the secondary. And this, like you said, it's not the only thing they've done. They tried 
DeAndre Baker, that didn't work out, but they used the first round pick there and they traded two other picks that they got in Eli Apple and Damon Harrison trades to get there. They also used an early third supplemental pick on Sam Beal. So it's clear they've been moving in this direction for a while, even before Joe Judge got here. And I think that's something Gettleman alluded to during his days with Carolina. He's seeing the defense a little bit differently. I do believe that my one of my favorite things about Gettleman since arriving here is that he has had a new age viewpoint of how to build a defense. Because if you look at, with the exception, obviously, of pouring so much into the IDLs, but that's just who he is, and he was never going to change that. But at the second and third levels of the defense, I think he's shown a really progressive strategy for building them out. And as far as where they're at now, if you look at some of these defenses, like, for example, I I feel like the Ravens are the best blueprint of kind of the new age analytics-based pass coverage over pass rush mindset because they've let a lot of their top pass rushers go they've had a lot of random guys emerge as pass rushers uh matthew judon not a high profile draft pick someone who really feels very system based when you watch him on film and that's not a bad thing like the patriots signed him for a reason the patriots run a very similar system to the ravens and the patriots have been a very similarly great defense and they're also a team that let their one big time pass rusher who broke out um forgetting his name, who went to the Lions, uh, leaving free agency. Um, Trey Flowers? Yeah, Trey Flowers. So, and another late-round pick, by the way. But what you see with the Ravens' defense, I feel like they're the best. And I think Mike Clay tweeted this out earlier. He said, I don't appreciate just how good the Ravens' defense— I don't think we appreciate just how good the Ravens' defense has been at preventing touchdowns. Baltimore has been at or below 2.0 touchdowns allowed per game during the 11 of John Harbaugh's 13 season, and its worst season was 2.5 in 2015. The NFL average during this span is 2.3. It's incredible. And what did we notice about year one in Patrick Graham defense? They didn't allow touchdowns. That was probably, you know, there were times where Graham's defense was allowing yards. They're allowing decently long drives that resulted in field goals. But once they got down in the red zone, the Giants defense didn't allow a lot of touchdowns. And overall, when you factor in also the big chunk yardage plays touchdowns, with the exception of that McLaurin broken play that, you know, you know, obviously there was a mishap in the secondary and the Cooper Cup broken play where the Rams used no, you know, no up tempo, no huddle and caught the Giants defense a little off guard. And then, of course, Dak, who had a really nice game against the Giants. The Giants' defense really didn't allow many long play touchdowns, and they didn't allow many red zone touchdowns. And I think that's partially due to the system, and I think I'm really happy to see that it's also partially due to their investments in the secondary. Yes, and I I concur with that, dude. It's uh, exciting heading into 2021. And should we maybe expound upon one of those additions in the secondary? Yeah, let's start there because the last podcast, obviously, we haven't covered a few of the signings there. So let's now dive into a few of the nitty gritties, or I guess the more in-depth breakdowns of these players. So let's start with the Dory Jackson, Nick. After taking a look at his film with the Tennessee Titans, what do you come away with, and how do you feel he will project to Patrick Graham's system? If anybody wants to see some of the work I've done, it's at Big Blue View and Giants Country, the Sports Illustrated affiliate for the New York Giants. But I'll go over a brief overview. And, uh, I mean, they're getting a cornerback in a Dory Jackson who has all the movement skills and fluidity a player needs to excel at the position. Typically, when when I evaluate corners, and really any position for that matter, I always look to see what routes and responsibilities can they handle, you know, on a specific level, and how consistent do they handle them. And to start broad, can they play man coverage? These days, as Giants fans know, like we talked about on this podcast, quality corners have to be able to play man coverage. If a corner can only play with his back to the sideline and outside leverage, and it's just not because of scheme, it's because they cannot face somebody head up and square up, then that corner needs to be somebody that the team needs to look to upgrade over. Dory checks the man coverage box. Now, look at how he handles certain alignments and routes. Can he align, impress, stay disciplined and patient at the line of scrimmage while not committing his hips too early to double moves? I'd say Dory Jackson does this adequately with the caveat that his hips are so fluid that he can cheat. There were times on his film where he could have been better at the line of scrimmage, but the fluidity in his hips allowed him to lock and unlock and turn back to the receiver and use impressive lateral agility and short area quickness to close with to the outside hip in trail situations or just get right back into phase up a receiver's stem or on horizontal breaks. And then you look at off-man coverage. Jackson takes good angles to the receiver and uses his superior athletic ability and change of direction skills to put himself into an advantageous position. Works well through rub attempts and trash, showing good spatial awareness and overall agility to avoid those types of pick routes, which you see a lot in the NFL. A lot of small offense 
offensive coordinators out there. He's also smooth in his back pedal and can click and close with suddenness on curls and underneath throws. He's good at exploding on lateral angles, even if his hips aren't in the best position on horizontal crossers from outside leverage. Jackson closes with and gets to the outside hip of receivers as they cross a formation while using his inside arm to kind of tag that hip of the receiver. And then he uses that outside arm to swat the ball away. That's just good technique. This gives him the ability to subtly control receivers with that inside arm. And Jackson typically uses good timing and anticipation to disrupt the catch point, which is also something you want to you want to do. You want to see if a receiver can kind of play through the catch point. And Jackson's not that big, but he does this well. Jackson's also good in the short area, and he's twitchy with his movements. This allows him to play a bit in the slot, albeit decisiveness was something that kind of came into question at times on his film, mainly in 2020 when he was coming back from that knee injury. And something else, Dan, he's also he's willing in run support. Now, play strength is kind of an issue. It's it's not great, but he's willing. He doesn't always drive his feet and pads on contact. Sometimes he just gets in the way, latches on, and allows his teammates to rally to the football. A corner doesn't always have to be the best tackler, but he has to be willing. And Adoree is more than willing, which is something you love to see. You also love how he's a punt returner because that tells you a few things about the player. For one, he's tough. They don't put pansies back there to return punts in the NFL. And two, he has natural ball skills, which is something we see on tape. I mean, PBUs are an incredibly underrated stat. Jackson only has those two career interceptions, but the 34 passes defended is something that's good, something that you want to see. That's on-the-ball production. It's very, very, very important. Also, he's dangerous with the football in his hands. We see that on tape as well with how he sees the field when he's playing top-down coverage and driving on those underneath routes that he does well, like a curl, a slant up to the inside, a drag to the inside, in-route, out-route, hitch, anything like that. He can handle those, has the athletic ability and the understanding on what angle to take to the football in those situations. So there's a lot of upside and a lot of things you kind of want to see from Dory Jackson and it's still potential there, man, because he has not kind of scratched the surface of the player that he could be quite yet. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think you're spot on here. I think some of the things that stood out to me about Dory Jackson, in addition to the fact that his age, the age, I like the fact that he's 25 entering his three-year deal with the Giants. I think that's extremely important to buy into the younger players in free agency. And I think the Giants have done a really excellent job of that, even, um, I guess, not necessarily at all times, but since Joe Judge has arrived given last year's free agency and this year's free agency, not only did they do what we wanted from a standpoint of spending that cap money and something we knew ultimately would happen or me and you both predicted because one, John Mayer's never been afraid to spend to the cap. And two, we knew that the cap was not a, was not a, was not a hard number that, you know, they only have 1 million, 1.5 million to work with. But one thing they've done excellent job of is not investing in those older free agents. It's really important if you're going to spend free agent money in my mind to get those guys coming off a rookie contract, to get those guys who don't have huge tread on their tires. And, Adore is one of those players. And I think what stood out the most to me when doing a little bit more research was something that Ben, ben Lindsay from Pro Football Focus tweeted out. And basically he said, Adore Jackson's deep coverage numbers since entering the league are absolutely absurd. On 20 plus yard passes downfield since 2017. And this includes that 2020 injury plague year, by the way, which I'm not throwing out last year from Jackson, but I do believe he was playing hurt when he came back. But on 20 yard passes downfield since 2017, He's been targeted 51 times. He's only allowed 14 receptions, and he's actually forced 18 incompletions, the second most in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus's game charting. And so he's a force more incompletions than, than receptions. Like you said, he has really good ball skills. They don't show up in the interceptions numbers, but they show up in the pass breakups numbers. And he also, from 2018 through 2020, and that, again, includes that injury plague 2020 season, had pro football focus his fourth best coverage grade overall. And yet, so you can take that with a grain of salt if you want. And I understand those of you, including myself, who have concerns, I guess you would say, about um, pro football focus, their grades, their game charters, things of that nature. But I will say this when it comes to something like this. If you look at the names he's with, the Jair Alexanders of the world who are in that, who are, you know, rated number one in coverage grade, he's the three guys ahead of him are all viewed as top corners in the NFL, some of the most elite best corners in the NFL. And while Nick, you you you've said it to me point blank and I'm not and I and I agree with you. He's not quite ready to be considered one of the best elite corners in the NFL, like with a James Bradbury even to that matter, or a Jair Alexander. He's still just 25. And to me, 
that gives him such an excellent opportunity to become a player that we're hoping he can be, to become a consistent shutdown cornerback. And obviously, the Giants love what they've seen on tape as it relates to Patrick Graham's system and as it relates to what his vision would be for a corner. I'm sure the Giants went this off, went to this offseason, Nick, and asked Patrick Graham, we're going to up, we're, or told Patrick Graham, look, we're going to look to upgrade that CB2 spot for you. We believe in pass coverage. We believe in its importance. We believe in what adding a talented CB2 can do for you as a coordinator. And he said, what kind of corner do you want? And I believe that when they looked at free agency at first, they didn't feel like Shaq Griffin would be that corner. They didn't feel like, um, who's the other guy who got a big deal? William Jackson. William Jackson would be that corner. And then when someone like Adoree Jackson became available, they said a player who, by the way, from everything I've heard, they had a super high draft grade on in 2017, wanted to draft that season. They looked at his tape, especially during that 2019 season, and said, this could be the guy. This could be the exact guy I want for this defense. And by the way, that coverage grade was during that, that fourth best coverage grade was um, only on outside coverage, which, again, he'll be ultimately used, I would assume, almost exclusively for with the Giants, with Darnay Holmes in the slot. And it's the eighth highest since he's entered the NFL or from the 2017 through 2019 seasons, not including that injury plague 2020 season. And he has 29 pass breakups in that span. That's incredible for a three season span to have 29 pass breakups. So add all that into the, you know, also to the eye test here, Nick, where the Titans defense was very legitimately worse in 2020, in my mind, with Jack, I'm sorry, with Jackson out or playing hurt. And I think when you factor all of these things in, you have some you have a really good bet. You're making a gamble on someone who could immediately impact your defense. We talked all offseason, Nick, about what this defense could do if Patrick Graham had a second corner, outside corner that he could rely on. What could he do schematically? Could he run more man like he wanted to? Could he blitz more often like he wanted to? Could he mix up the coverages and get so diverse back there that it wouldn't just be Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll who were talking, or I'm not Pete Carroll, uh, Brian Schottenheimer who were telling you know Mike Silver from NFL Network that we really had no clue what to expect for going into this game. And the coverages are so diverse, we had to just rely on what our bread and butter plays. And will it be all the coordinators who have to, offensive coordinators who have to result that who knows i think it's definitely possible if they also add you know maybe another player and make a parsons or another edge to the mix but again this was exactly what i would consider was their fastest path to improving the defense adding a really good cornerback too because of those reasons and it gets me really excited when i see a player with the profile like a dory jackson absolutely man and he's not like to me he's not quite that number one yet but he's that number two right it doesn't mean he can't take a step to become a number one. I mean, look at the Ravens. They have Marcus Peters. They have Jimmy Smith. They have Marlon Humphrey, who kind of kicks into the slot. It's a very formidable pass defense. Well, if Darnay Holmes takes another step, and then if Dory Jackson takes another step, which is likely, might not happen, but it is likely, especially with the coaching of Joe Judge, Patrick Graham. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt, who's an SEC guy now, being a defensive analyst there. And then you have Jerome Henderson as well. I mean, these are really, really good teachers that can unlock high potential then you can maybe develop him to be a true number one cornerback now you have two number one cornerbacks I mean that's going to be huge for this Giants pass defense and they're already trying to give themselves nicknames the NYPD the New York pass defense I think it's creative but let's hold off and and see it actually materialize on the field yeah I mean but the depth and the talent there is really this is the most talented and deepest secondary the Giants have ever had since I started following this team and I don't even think it's really close I mean you could argue some of the years they had a lot of talent back in the day. I mean, there was a there was a secondary with Kenny Phillips, with Terrell Thomas. There were players back then who were excellent players. But as far as depth and talent combined go, I don't think there's anything close. And just to wrap up the the talk on Azori Jackson, I think in addition to the entire profile which we've gone over, something I don't want to completely bury is what he can do with the football in his hands as a special teamer. He can add another element to the return game. The Giants obviously may not want to have Jabril Peppers back there for all of the snaps due to injury concerns. And to the same extent, they wouldn't want to have Adore Jackson maybe back there for every snap, but they can mix and match them both as returners. He's also had some experience at USC on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know if they'll get that creative um, and to get him mixed in maybe in some red zone packages or, or some offensive packages, but it's certainly something to keep an eye on as well. I think overall, they're getting a really good kid, a really good athlete, and so far a corner who's been really good. Maybe not elite yet, but someone who could potentially get to that level given the fact that he's still just 25 years old. 
Yes, and not to throw any poo-poo water on Adoree Jackson, but just some of the things I wanted to bring up that are somewhat of a negative. He he has been susceptible to the big play. Again, he was playing the number one receiver for the Tennessee Titans. I mean, he's given up 15 career touchdowns. First 10 were in his first two years in 2017 and 2018. Given up five since then, but again, he didn't really play that much in 2020 because of that knee injury. And I have seen indecisiveness on, at times on his tape. And a lot of it was evident in the Packers game this year. He came back for that onslaught where Devontae Adams did whatever he wanted. He just, and this is Devontae Adams we're talking about, but it just seemed like Devontae Adams kept him guessing the entire time and he was just not comfortable at all. He gave up two touchdowns in that game. And honestly, I don't even really know if I put a lot of it on a Dory Jackson. One was on a screen where he didn't do a good job tackling Devontae Adams and Devontae Adams just kind of tripped and fell into the end zone for a touchdown. The other one was just a perfectly thrown pass from Aaron Rodgers to the back pylon where Dory Jackson really couldn't have done anything to prevent that. And then sometimes, again, like I kind of alluded to in his strengths, because his hips are so fluid and he can change direction with them so easily, he's not always as disciplined at the line of scrimmage because he has those movement skills to kind of bail him out. But a quarterback with good rapport with his wide receiver can probably take advantage of that. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. We're not looking at the perfect corner here, but I don't think we felt like we were looking at the perfect corner either last offseason when we were evaluating James Bradbury. So it is possible to me, and I feel like the same can be said about when we were evaluating uh, Blake Martinez as he came over last offseason. So it is still possible to me and very likely to me that he can take a big jump just simply going to uh, Patrick Graham's system. And so some definitely something to keep an eye on. I'm definitely extremely excited about his potential with the Giants in this system and what he can do for Graham, schematically speaking. Yeah, and I agree with that, too. But the Blake Martinez thing was interesting, too, Dan, because I felt like Giants fans were like a tag. Oh, this guy can't cover. He can't. And they, they made that more of a bigger deal than it actually is, especially with the zone coverage that he was tasked to do a lot of the times. He's not asked to kind of carry running backs way up the seam. The Giants aren't going to allow him to do that. They're going to have a middle of the field closed safety in that space. And I also don't think he's as bad of an athlete as a lot of Giants fans anticipated when he came over from Green Bay. No, I definitely agree with you on those things, but I think that ultimately there were also some concerns people had with him, even just simply as a run defender based on what they saw in Green Bay. And I think the difference in the system he played in there with the Packers versus the one he played in with the Giants made a, made a massive impact on his play overall, his production, and his pro, like what we view him as now. I feel like being in Patrick Graham's system was excellent for him as a player. And I don't, it's not something to say like, oh, he, it's a it's a one time thing for Martinez. I think he'll be able to completely build on what he displayed there in 2020 and become an even better player potentially as he continues to play in Graham's system. But I do think that ultimately we he we view him now as a different asset on the Giants and same with Bradbury than we did last offseason. Sounds good. Yep. All right. Let's get into the two other signings quick and then we'll do a kind of 30,000 foot view recap and thoughts right now on where free agency or what the Giants did in free agency. So let's yeah, start. Well, oh, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say we should start with what Reggie Ragland, I guess, because that was the first one to come. And my, my input on Reggie Ragland is you're getting a two down run thumper who is not going to be fluid in space. Like we just talked about Blake Martinez in space. Blake Martinez is a much more fluid player in space than a player like Reggie Ragland, who is tight hipped. He's stiff, but you get him within the box and you get him targeting a running back within the A and B gap and even slightly off the C gap. He can come downhill and then he could take your head off because he brings a ton of hit power. I mean, he has that hit stick trait, Dan, <laughs> you know, from Madden, man. He can really lay the lumber and lay the boom on offensive players who are running the football and that's the kind of player you're going to get and I think he's going to compete with Tay Crowder for that first and second down role in base packages the three four package right next to Blake Martinez that's obviously if the Giants don't end up going out and drafting Micah Parsons or someone like that but that's the kind of player you're going to get somebody who's very very physical somebody who's good at reading his keys plays with a high mental processing obviously he went to the University of Alabama but he's not a good athlete for the linebacker position and that seems to be the trend of the NFL right now as you're trying to get those second level defenders who can drop in space, can play in sub packages and not be a liability in coverage. Ragland is definitely somebody who would be a liability in coverage. Yeah. And ultimately, I think I know it doesn't seem like something I would say, given where I am moving toward as an evaluator and someone who believes in what you just said, trying to find those two way second level linebackers who are ultimately fluid, athletic in space and can help you in pass coverage and as a blitzer. 
I still think there is a need for a player like Reggie Ragland on this defense. I still think there was a need for someone who can help them from a run defensive standpoint. If you watch that Ravens game that they had on all 22, you saw that this run defense wasn't perfect. You saw that this run defense still has some warts. And it was even to me somewhat apparent at times in week 17 against the Dallas Cowboys. Toward the end of the year, you saw that the Giants really, with the exception of Blake Martinez, didn't exactly have everything they wanted at the second level from a run defense standpoint with those second level defenders. I ultimately think Tay Grouder can be a decent fit for the Giants and someone who can be kind of a role player for them. But I'm I'm not as high in Crowder as others, and I'm certainly not as high in Crowder as a run defender as I am maybe uh, what he can contribute overall and in past defense. So adding a guy like Raglan to me is a great move, a low-cost, easy alternative type move for David Mayo or a you know Devontae Downs type. Even though the Giants did just re-sign Devontae Downs, I'm sure. Since they didn't tender him, I'm sure it's to a deal that can easily be released in training camp. And I think Downs will compete, but ultimately be cut in August. That would be my prediction. He'll be cut, in, or, I'm sorry, in September, right right around the start of the regular season. I don't think he'll make the roster. But having a guy like, like Raglan in here, I think gives them another, I guess, a more multiple, not multiple dimension, but another dimension at that second level. Someone who can help Martinez really shore up the run on obvious rundowns or even on those early down situations. I also think it's important to get another another guy from Alabama with championship pedigree on this roster. I think that's a big part of why they did add Raglan and Ryan Anderson. We'll get to in a moment. These both both of these players came from Bama, and both of these players, and obviously Joe Judge has his connections to Bama, but Joe Judge is running a different kind of NFL program than a lot of these head coaches are running. There's a reason why Janoris Jenkins would have never worked in New York this year, and Obviously, he was released before that ever had to happen. But Janoris Jenkins is the type of player who could never work in a Joe Judge system. Joe Judge, or I'm sorry, in a Joe Judge coach team. Joe Judge is going to demand a lot from his players. Joe Judge is going to run a physical training camp. Joe Judge is going to run physical practices during the season. He's going to ask for things that not all coaches are going to ask for, in my opinion. I think some coaches run their programs a lot differently at the NFL level. Sorry, at the NFL level. And I think some veterans have come become accustomed kind of those player first coaches. And that's not to say judge isn't a player first coach. He is. It's a different, it's just when I use the word player first coach, I mean something different than what it might be interpreted as interpreted as I should say. I, what I mean there, Nick is those coaches who kind of don't run the same level program or the same intensity program as, as a Joe judge think like Ben McAdoo or Pat Shermer, even like when I went to the giants training camp practices during the Shermer and McAdoo errors, it was a very different feel than, and I haven't been to a Joe Judge training camp practice, but from what I've seen in the videos and from what I've heard from the players, it was a very different feel to what Joe Judge was running at camp. It was laissez-faire. There was, you know, the players were dan- were not really, it didn't really feel like the intensity level was there every day. And so a player like Raglan and Ryan Anderson, they come from a system where that was demanded of them from Nick Saban at the collegiate level. So I think they fit in nice from that standpoint. And you need players like that to buy into it immediately. And obviously the Giants players on the roster already have bought into that, Nick. But I think adding a guy like Raglan and adding a guy like Anderson can only help that cause. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and that's what I believe the the objective is for Joe Judd. And then with Ryan Anderson, too, I mean, I'll dive right into him. I wrote a piece for Giants Country at SI about Ryan Anderson. To me, he's somebody who is very physical on the edge. Now he's low to the ground, plays with really, really good leverage, has short arms, sub 32 inches, all the things that you really don't want as a pass rusher from for an edge. But when you look at his ability to take on lead blocks and power gap, to not get kicked out, to keep that rushing lane narrow, to kind of spill to secondary force defenders and be in the right position, in terms of those first two downs, rushing downs, he does that well, man. And he's very, very physical. I mean, there were times I watched him against the Bears in 2019 where the backside guard would kick out power gap type run and they would task to kick out the end man on the line of scrimmage who's unblocked. That's Ryan Anderson. Ryan Anderson would engage that guard instantaneously and just totally clog the rushing lane. And it was really, really awesome to see that. So from a physical standpoint, from a tackling standpoint, I do like this addition. I love the fact that it's a vet minimum because as an edge rusher, as a pass rusher, it's not there, man. He's not quick off the snap. He's not explosive. He's not bendy. I think he has solid use of hands, to be honest. I think his hands are really heavy, has a really good chop swim combo. 
has a really good double swipe rip combo to kind of get to the half man and dip around the corner, but he needs to have space there to kind of get his hips swiveled around because he's not somebody who's going to effectively bend through contact because he's not really all that flexible in his lower half. So I think it's a somebody that's going to kind of step up in that Kyler Fackel role on early downs, running downs, and he's going to be an upgrade. But I don't think he's as good of a pass rusher as Kyler Fackrell. And then in terms of dropping in the coverage, he can do it to the boundary, but he's not a great athlete. He's not overly fluent in space. So those are things that are going to probably hurt him in that area, but I think he can do it. It's not something you want to see consistently. But as somebody who could set the edge, something we talked about a little bit earlier— Ryan Anderson's going to be able to do that. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And ultimately, do you think, I guess my question for you would be this then, do you ultimately feel like he can transition to becoming a better player or transition to becoming a better edge rusher with the Giants in this system because it's different than what he played in with the with the Washington football team? Does that at all give you hope or is it more just the traits just aren't there for him to be that like next level pass rusher or even be an upgrade over like a Cairo Fackrell in that regard? From a pass rushing standpoint, I, I don't believe so, to be honest. Okay. He just doesn't have those athletic traits that you're really looking for to consistently not even just win one-on-one, but kind of be able to threaten the edge from even wider angles. I do believe he had a pretty good inside move where he was able to explode off his outside foot, shoot an interior gap, and if he was going up against a tight end, he would have success there. And, I mean, I look at Odenigbo, Ifidi Odenigbo, another player, another edge rusher the Giants added. He's much more, I feel like, a better athlete, somebody with high higher upside as somebody who can rush the passer. But Anderson, I just don't necessarily see that. And I'm not poo-pooing the the signing because I do believe adding somebody who can kind of keep the continuity of the rush defense intact on the edge, I think that's a big deal. And that's something that he can certainly do. It's just not somebody that on third down is going to consistently win a lot in these one-on-one type of situations as an edge rusher. You're not going to get that kind of player for a vet minimum really that much either. And I didn't see him do too many ETTE type of stunts at Washington. He was dropped in the coverage a decent amount, I think 77 times in 2019. But he was a player that they spent a second round pick on. And when that happened, I was like, oof, I really, I, I did not see that, to be honest. They spent that second round pick. Then they end up getting Montez Sweat slightly after, get Chase Young. He gets buried on the depth chart last year, and then he's gone. And uh, I, I never, even dating back to his time in Alabama, I never saw an, a great athlete that should be a day two pick. I thought that was a reach. But now right. on this, that minimum deal, I, I think it's a uh, it's a fine addition to really help on early downs. Similar to Raglan. Fair enough. I think that is all. None, none of that to me is, is anything out of the ordinary. None of that to me is super surprising. I think just from what I've seen from Ryan Anderson – the little bits of film, I haven't dove into it as much as you have, Nick, but also just from watching the, the Washington football team. But I will say, though, that there it does appeal to me that you're bringing in, again, another guy from that Bama program and another guy who I think fits what the Giants want culture-wise a lot. And again, I don't want to put too much of a of a uh, you know an impact, or I guess I don't want to put too much credence on what culture is and what it means. But I think when you are running this type of program, like I said, it's going to be a very tough it's going to be a physical training camp they're going to he's going to judge is going to ask a lot of these players on a daily basis you need got you need a full roster of guys who are going to buy and you don't want to sign those those late you know late career vets who have played in maybe different types of systems or different types of programs that don't stress this type of stuff and i think guys like anderson and raglan will not will not only just will, will be able to buy in right away but also be able to kind of Add something else to the Giants to the mix, especially like you said early on rundowns and like like you like we talked about Nick the, the run defense was well improved last season but it wasn't perfect and it's still need you can still with these low risk signings you know like Raglan and and Anderson barely cost the Giants anything from a cap standpoint and they barely you know they're they're mostly viewed as depth signings I would I would imagine and when you make those kind of moves you can definitely afford to do to do lower priority things like improve your run defense I believe because that's really where you want to be doing it with those you know, lesser assets, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, anything else on the Giants signings or anything else you want to touch on from an overall theory standpoint or just an overall 30,000-foot view of free agency that stood out to you or things you want to talk about regarding the first wave of free agency for the Giants? 
No, I think it was a, a solid first wave, not a lot to complain about. I even think additions like Colin Gillespie could be somebody who might be stealing some snaps from our guy, Caden Smith, to be honest, at that H-back spot, because just from the little bit of film that I have seen, he's somebody who can move, can locate, and brings a lot of physicality to those blocks. So on this power gap, this counter tray type of rushing play, he could possibly steal that H-back spot from Caden Smith, something to watch in camp and if we have a preseason. That is really interesting, yeah, and I think – like we talked about either earlier in this podcast or on the in the locker room last night, the Giants are looking for ways to improve on the things that they do well. So, for example, that counter trade play, it's the staple of their run game. It's what they leaned on in the second half. It's what helped them unlock their offense or at least to unlock their run game. They can improve that by adding guys, like you said, who can be even better blocking on the backside at the H-back position. And, you know, players of who can pull better maybe in space if you're looking to upgrade guard. Players who can block down better in the run game. There's different ways to improve what they're doing well already. And I think they're going to continue to look to do that as they build on the system in year two. So I thought they did a lot of that in, in free agency already. Obviously, we touched on what adding a cornerback to means. We touched on what adding red zone guys and contestant catch guys like Kenny Galladay and Kyle Rudolph means. But I think overall for me, my, my main takeaway would be kudos on the Giants for understanding that they had a really good and healthy cap position in 2022 and 2023, that the cap was about to take a massive, massive leap forward. I mean, you're talking potentially up to 70 million in five years the cap will be raised by. And so they finally, and not finally, they smartly dipped into those future years and set up things like you see other teams. They have voidable contracts in some of these deals. They have a lot of the money mixed in different ways it's not just flat salary cap hits each year like Gettleman you know suggested he would like to do and ultimately that meant nothing as I predicted ultimately it's Kevin Abrams running the cap here it's not Dave Gettleman Uh, that's Abrams specific job it always has been even in the Jerry Reese years and he does an excellent job with it and lastly I want to applaud John Mara because he deserves to be applauded every single year he spends to the cap Every year, the Giants are spending money in dreams. They spent last year. They spent this year. They spent in the year before in 20, uh, 20 or 2019 was low on that end, but they spent in 2018. It didn't work out as well. They made the mistake of, of signing a big time free agent who wasn't coming off his rookie deal and Nate Solder. And that's kind of what can happen to you when you make those types of decisions. You can get hit hard if you get a guy not coming off that rookie deal like they did with Solder. But ultimately, kudos across the board for me and Gettleman as well and Joe Judge as well. They all... You know, they everything worked in conjunction here, I believe, to, to come up with a really good free agent plan that worked out well. They they didn't even have to really stray away from it and go to any plan B options. It's clear Kenny Galladay was plan A. They had a they had something emerge when Adoree Jackson hit. They didn't expect to go for. And, and you know, and some teams would be like, all right, we'll just kick that can down the road and we'll look for a cornerback two in the draft or we'll fix that whole next offseason. But the Giants were like, we can afford to spend now. We have the cap position to spend now. And we, you know, obviously John Mara doesn't mind spending that money. So they did it. They did that. And what you're left with, Nick, and what we're left with is a really, really good team on paper that ultimately still has question marks. For example, they're not going to be good unless the quarterback takes a step forward. And they're not going to be good unless the offensive line takes a step forward. And to be honest, and I know you agree with me, Nick, those are two of the most important things in football. If you don't have good quarterback play and good offensive line play, you really don't have a chance, but they've set themselves up to a position where that's really all the only question marks remaining for me, with the exception of maybe edge. But I believe again they can be that can be schemed around. And and again, you're entering you're you're kind of flowing that into a draft where you still have the eleventh pick overall. You still have the forty second pick overall. Two spots where you can add immediate impact players right away for the 2021 season to fill other holes or to improve strengths that are already on the roster, like receiver you know, or even offensive guard or tackle, things of that nature. Um, So ultimately, I think the Giants knocked it out of a ballpark this free agency. And this is the most excited I've been about this team in a very long time. Certainly the most excited I've been about this team since Dave Gettleman has arrived here. And I think ultimately the Giants are positioning themselves for what could be a really Cleveland Browns-like jump. The Cleveland Browns, remember, last offseason they entered it. And they spent big in free agency. They addressed massive holes and needs with Jack Conklin, among others. And I feel like the Giants did a very similar thing and followed a very similar blueprint this year in free agency. All right, that's all the time we have for on today's show. Thanks to everyone again for tuning in. Thank you to everyone who has made this podcast what it is today. As we kind of embark on what will be a very fun draft season, I'm excited to see the progress we've made as a podcast. And 
The pro- and thanks, that's all thanks to you guys. We finally eclipsed the 500 rating mark, which was awesome to see. That was when I was on vacation. We hit all the way up to 511 ratings. We'll go over some of those ratings and reviews on the next podcast. We'll give a couple shout-outs, and we'll read some questions off. But for now, a few shout-outs to Arthur909, Lumby1203, Jay Nuzzo, K Marsh, Giant Jeff 50 Heat Check Jason, who wrote a nice long one, Swayze6. And we have definitely more ratings and reviews than I ever expected us to get to. And I want to now, now that we've reached the 500 rating goal, I want to go ahead and hit the 500. Nah, you know what? Let's go bigger. Let's hit 750. Let's get to 750. That's the next goal here, I think, for this podcast right now. And to everyone else who wants to follow us along, you can find us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. That's NYBigBlueBanter. We're extremely active now on Instagram. And if you want to chat with us live, you can join us for what essentially is a live radio show every single week, Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern on the Locker Room app. I'll be tweeting the links to that as well. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.